If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We've got a two-week series here in the book of Ecclesiastes, and um, today we'll be looking specifically into chapter 3, and this is quite a book. And in the midst of this, we, uh, we have a memory verse for the week, our verse of the week here. Ecclesiastes 3, you'll see this on the screen. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Okay, pretty famous verse here from chapter 3. God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, he sets an appropriate time for everything. Every season of life that we go through God is in the midst of all of that, and if there's any auditory learners in the house, um, you know, one way we can practice this verse is maybe through song, and so we've got a little song we want to do for you, and I've asked Paul uh, Bindle to help me out with this, give me a little bit of an intro, and then I'll lead us and then see if you guys can, can carry on with this tune, so Paul, if you'd be able to help me out. To everything turn, there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Yes, nicely done, guys. Way to go, Paul. Well, how many of you heard that song before? All right, I, I know who the hippies are. Okay, that song was made popular by the birds in the 1960s. It was written by a guy named Pete Seeger in the late 50s, kind of a response to the Vietnam War, and he had written all these protest songs to war, and as they were going to the publisher, the publisher's like, go back, we're not going to do that. Well, it kind of in a fuss and a frenzy, Pete writes this in 15 minutes. Where do you think he referenced that? Right? He took it from the book of Ecclesiastes. And so it's interesting, as I read about this, he actually receives royalties for this. Even though you know, it's put on by the birds, he gets money for every time the, the birds sell it or whatever. But it's like, wait a second, he's not really the author of that song. This is actually written by a king named Solomon. Perhaps you've heard of him, but Ecclesiastes, this word comes from a Greek word meaning preacher. And ecclesia, another word that's similar, means the assembly or the congregation. And even the Hebrew word for Ecclesiastes would mean one who gathers or one who would assemble. Another way I've heard it is one who collects or a searcher. And Solomon is one who's collected all of these life experiences. He's searched through life. He's, he's tasted all of these things, and he puts them together for us here. And there's a bit of a pessimistic tone that comes from Solomon. And you'll even see things like, it's all meaningless. What an encouraging word, right? And it even mentions the word vanity about 37 times in this book, and the word vanity is actually another word for 
uh, breath and expressing in the midst of that the futile attempt to be satisfied apart from God with all of life's pleasures. And pleasure without God is not lasting, it's fleeting, it's a vapor, it's a breath, it's vanity, it seems meaningless. And seven times in this book, Solomon actually says that everything is futile and it's a pursuit of the wind. And in the midst of this particular autobiography that Solomon gives us, you see him squandering God's blessing on all these things that a heart could desire only to come up empty. And so it's important to keep the conclusion that Solomon had about life in mind as we walk through the book of Ecclesiastes. The the conclusion is actually found in Ecclesiastes 12. At the very end of this book, Solomon sums it up and says, "Here's, here's the sum of all of this. We should be people who fear God and obey his commands. And when you make that a priority in your life, now... Life has meaning. It's not all vanity. And so we see Solomon's summary. And as we walk through this book, just keep in mind that pessimistic tone, okay, because there's some verses that it's not exactly what you'd throw up on the wall of your living room. Everything is meaningless. I mean, what a great verse to have in your living room, okay? So some of these things need to be taken with the context of the whole book, of Ecclesiastes, okay? And so recognizing that things can be like this vanity that he's speaking of, this breath, life is like a vapor. The Bible says that it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And, and Solomon draws a little bit of that out for us in chapter 3. And as we walk through that, we see that one thing I want us to understand with this message is it's about Time, the time that each of us are given. And so to kind of kick things off, this item which sits in my office was given to me as a gift from my wife Brady when I became a lead pastor. And it was a reminder to me that as a family to remember that quality time that we would have together. And so this is in my office as a reminder of that. I'm using it today just as an expression of There's only so much time that we have together. And so it's important that we make the most of our time. And so before we get into chapter 3, I'm going to ask that we would pray together and ask the Lord to bless this time together. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time in your word, and we ask that you would bless this time. And Lord, as we go through your scriptures, I pray that you would speak to each and every heart that is listening and that you would use this scripture to open our hearts more to you and an understanding of the things you want to accomplish in our lives. And may we see Jesus here in Ecclesiastes 3. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 1. For everything there is a season... 
a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden that God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God." And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before, because God makes the same things happen over and over again. I also noticed that under the sun there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. And I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all of their deeds. And I also thought about the human condition and how God proves to people that they are like animals. For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. There's a verse for your living room. So people have no real advantage over animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They came from dust and they return to dust. For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is our lot in life. And no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. All right. Let's begin to unpack this particular passage. As I said, there's, some, there's a bit of a tone here, almost like Eeyore, you know? Did anybody know any Eeyores in your life? Right? You talk to them, and it's just like, oh, this has nothing to look forward to, you know? That's a little bit of the tone we're getting here. But let's talk through four points with this passage, the first being life's polarities, Okay, in verses 1 through 8, Solomon throws out a variety of things that are complete opposites from each other. As he says, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, and so on and so forth. These are life's polarities. And Solomon is not necessarily saying that these things are good or that these things are bad. He's listing and says, this is life. This is what goes on in life. And some days it can feel like we're on this bicycle that goes nowhere. And we just pedal and pedal and we go through these things that are going on. And we come to the realization that we live in a sin-cursed world where things that are happening, there might be good things, but then there can also be very difficult things. And we look at this and we see that Solomon also realizes that God is in control. 
in the midst of all of those things. And there's a comfort in that, whether we go through the good or the bad. This is a bit of a bonus for us, but in my study, I saw these in some notes, and I really appreciated this. And maybe if there's some farmers listening, you'll appreciate this too. In verse 5, there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. Okay, And so some of you farmers, as the field is in preparation, you go out and you pick up stones out of your field, right? Okay, Some of you are like, I did that all day yesterday, okay? Well... You know exactly what I'm talking about then. What's interesting with this is to hurt an enemy, you would actually fill that enemy's field with stones. So it would be a more difficult process. So I don't know who your enemies are, but you probably need to see why they're throwing stones in your field all the time. But So in 2 Kings, specifically in chapter 3, you can read about that. This was a tactic of the enemy to mess up your planting and your field work, we're going to throw a bunch of stones in there. Now, people also gather stones for building things, whether it's a wall for their uh, protection or their houses, a place that they can live. And this is what I read in my study, and I just absolutely love this. This is for everybody listening, including myself. If your enemy fills your land with rocks, don't throw them back. Build something out of them. I appreciated that. And perhaps there's somebody listening right now that would appreciate uh, that word as well. If people are coming at you and they're being negative and they're attacking you, be useful with those actions. Don't throw those rocks back. Build something out of these kinds of attacks. Appreciated that. Life's polarities. Life is full of all kinds of activity, all kinds of activity under the sun. And there's a season, there's a reason. And God is in control in the midst of all of this. And there's a comfort in that. And the next thing is life's purpose. Verses 9 through 15, we see some things here. One is that we should enjoy the things of life. And I'll get to that in a moment. That's actually a specific point that I'll be making a little bit later, but I want us to recognize that in order for me to have a sense of purpose here and now, then I need to have some things figured out in regards to my eternal destination. And in verse 11, the Bible says that God has set eternity in the heart of man. The Bible tells me in Genesis 1 that people, men and women, are created in the image of God. And one of the ways in which we are an image bearer is that we all possess a spirit. I'm not talking about a demonic spirit here. I'm saying we possess a spirit. And that spirit is going to live for an eternity. And that concept should cause us to consider our ways. You mean that there's implications to the way I'm living now and how that might affect my eternity? You're absolutely correct. What you do now affects your eternity. And God has put that thought of eternity in our hearts. Whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, there's a certain point where you ponder There's got to be more to life than this. And Romans walks us through that, this sense of general revelation. The Bible says that 
Man is without excuse when it comes to their standing before God because God has made himself known through creation. Just look around and you'd have to say there's got to be someone who designed this, someone who created this. And how you respond to that question right there will lead you to special revelation, which is Jesus Christ. But there's something in us that would look around and say, I think there's more to life. And then the Holy Spirit meets us in that. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit regenerates our life and we become saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I cannot be saved on my own. I'm not saying that at all, hey, that God did not give me the capacity to make it to heaven on my own. What I am saying is God has put in us this sense of eternity. And because we're made in the image of God, we have this inquisitiveness about eternal realities. And so, if you will, there's kind of this God-shaped hole in each of our lives, and people will fill that hole with all kinds of things, but they won't find true satisfaction until they fill that hole with the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll go to all the things of the world, but you've been created for a relationship with God, that relationship that comes through Jesus. C.S. Lewis says it like this, creatures are not born without desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's this thing called food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's this thing called water. And he says, I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. God has set eternity in the heart of man. God has a desire for a relationship with you, and God wants you to also realize that he wants you to dwell with him in his house forever. We sang that. We read that from the 23rd Psalm. I love how Max Licato puts this, that heaven is our home. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. We all have an eternal address that is fixed in us, and God has set eternity in the human heart, and deep down, you know you're not home yet. And then I like it how he asks these questions Would you hang pictures on the wall of a Greyhound bus? No. That's a temporary situation. Do you set up a bedroom at the roadside rest stop? No. Do you load your king size bed onto a commercial flight? No. These are temporary things. You're on a journey somewhere. Same thing with each of our lives. You're on a journey to an eternal destination. Eternity should affect your decisions today. Every single one of us has an eternal destination, and I want you to hear me very clear. This destination is one of two places. It's either eternal separation from God in a place called hell, Or because God loves you so much, he sent the answer so that you don't have to be in that place. He wants you to be with him. And so he sends Jesus so that you can spend eternity with him in heaven. And so God responds to our desire for something more. And he gives us 
Jesus, and God sorts out all of life's matters in light of eternity. And I'll label it like this. There's life's payment. Okay? A couple ways to consider this. For those who are not yet in Christ, the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. And Solomon talks about how God is our judge, and there's a judgment that's coming to all of us. Whether you're a believer or you're not yet a believer in Christ, there is a judgment that will come. And as he says in verse 17, in due season, God will judge everyone. There's no exemptions to that. Okay? Just because you came to church today does not mean that you get out of the the whole judgment process. Okay? The judgment for sin for a believer takes place at Calvary. And what Jesus has done for you, he paid the penalty and the price for sin, and when you receive Christ into your life, that judgment is taken care of. The judgment for sin, taken care of at the cross. But as a believer, there's a certain point where you will stand before your creator, your judge, And he will reward you for the good things that you are doing in the body that you've been given. Because you've been redeemed, now that I'm redeemed in Jesus Christ, what am I doing with my salvation? Am I serving in the kingdom? And as you serve in the kingdom, there are rewards that are being kept track of for you in heaven. And this is called the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ. If you're not a believer, when you stand before God, it will be at something called the great white throne judgment. And you are judged for all of the evil deeds that you've done, and then the Bible says, and they will all be thrown then into the lake of fire. Sounds heavy, but I didn't write the Bible. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. There's a truth to the fact that eternity awaits each and every one of us. Solomon goes on to describe the fate of humans and likens them to animals. You heard that cheery verse. People and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They came from dust and they return to dust. Solomon is not considering the resurrected body as he's writing this. He's just simply looking at death in terms of this side of heaven. Death is referenced at least eight times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon clearly did not have a full, accurate view of the afterlife. So here's a a truth, and I'm not trying to, to bum anybody out with this truth, but this is... This is how God has created humans and that they're different from animals. You are created in the image of God and you have a spirit that is eternal. Animals do not. So if your little dog Toto passes away, I have no guarantee for you that he is in heaven. The Bible does talk about how there's animals in heaven, but I don't know about Toto, okay? And so we can't be dogmatic about that, huh? Yes. 
So the all dogs go to heaven stuff, that's, that's not from Scripture. So humans have a different fate, right? We have eternity to look forward to. Just this week, as I'm processing this message, Janice, our church janitor, tells me a story about a church mouse a number of years ago. And she said she came into the sanctuary and she found the mouse halfway down the aisle, dead. And jokingly, Janice goes, I don't know if it made it to the altar and got things right with the Lord. And so whether we'll see that mouse in heaven or not. Thanks for sharing that story. I told you I was going to share that today. But God has made humans different than all other creation and that he has set eternity in our hearts. We possess these eternal spirits that will go one of two places at the end of our life. What you do with Christ today will determine your forever. Okay? Point number four, life's pleasure. And this is one I want to draw out in verses 12 and 13 and verse 22. Solomon says, I've concluded there's nothing better than to be happy. Right? Enjoy ourselves as long as we can. Talking about enjoying the fruits of our labor. These are gifts from God. Verse 22, I saw there's nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. Okay? And so when we recognize that God is the one who brings purpose into our life and we live life in light of eternity, now we can start to enjoy these things. It's not just an Eeyore life as a follower of Jesus. We should be excited to live in his kingdom and serve the Lord no matter our lot, no matter what we go through, no matter what we might be going through as far as the seasons are concerned, these seasons that happen and they happen for everybody. We can go, there's joy in the Lord, and he gives me life. So we realize that time is in God's hands, and so we say, so maybe we should enjoy life. We should enjoy it. And we accept life as a gift. We thank God for it. We have a better attitude about life and even the burdens that come our way. We can receive those difficult things because God has a purpose in the midst of all of this. We do not miss the gifts that come our way. Our outlook determines our outcome. And as I've been studying Ecclesiastes this last week, and there's a certain point where I just felt led in my spirit to take a moment and just say, you know, it's important for us to cherish every moment that we have. I started by saying life is a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. We cherish the moments. We cherish our time. Not just trying to rush to the next season. And I got to thinking about this as it was brought to me in another message as I was studying on this. Sometimes in life, we get so frustrated with the season that we can't wait for the next season to show up. Okay, and, and one in particular is if your parents, you might be going through certain phases or seasons of that child's life, and you're like, I cannot wait until they just get a little bit older. 
And though they get a little bit older and we're kind of past maybe some of those things that maybe were difficulties, but then we found ourselves more difficulties, right? And now we're going, oh, if we just get through this season, then, then things will get better. So we go to the next season. We might have gotten out of that, but now we found ourselves some more difficulties. And then before you know it, you get to a point where we've got graduates here. These parents are saying, this is it. Our arrow is going to be flying out of this home. And I can't have those moments back. And here I was rushing to the next season, and now all of a sudden I'm going, I wish I could have more time. And so we cherish the moments we have. I also say this, don't live in regret the things that have happened in your past. Because if you do that, you're not going to be cherished in the moment either. So there's the whole looking forward to the future. There's looking toward the past. Eleanor Roosevelt says it this way, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. So we cherish the moments we have together. So I have a jar of M&Ms. How many of you saw this when you walked in? You're like, I wonder what's going to happen today. Okay. This jar, I did the math, approximately, is 18 years of somebody's life, each M&M representing a day, okay? As if me checking out of the aisle with all kinds of little Debbies isn't funny, here's a whole bunch of bags of M&Ms, okay? So each day representing a day of an 18-year-old's life, okay? Seems like we've got a lot of days here. Well, in the midst of this, Those who have kids that are 18 and they're about to graduate today, this jar would be empty. And you'd be going, where did time go? But each day representing some things. You know, and as I did the math, if the church had your kids four hours a week from the moment they're born until they complete their 18 years of life, four hours every week from birth until they're done being 18, this is the time that the church has. Okay? Valuable, right? It's important. Okay? Time matters. If your child goes to some kind of school that's outside of the home, this would account for all of the days at school. This is just classroom, okay? Kind of the seven hours a day, 180 days for the school year, plus about a half a year for those who might do preschool. But each of these representing a full 24 hours, this is the school. That does not count all the extracurriculars that happen in life. Okay, So before you know it, more and more is brought out in the time that you have with each other. You should cherish these moments because they will go quickly. Okay, so just as a way of expressing how each day matters, we have our graduates, and um, in a moment, I'm going to have you participate with me, but I want you to be thinking about the importance of time and how each day matters. We should cherish our time, okay? Every day is a gift from God. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. I've heard people say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. 
right? I'm too anointed to be disappointed. Hey? Every day is a gift. How you look at it will determine your actions. Okay? So in the midst of this, all of these things of life, if you don't have the right perspective, that's putting God first and then doing these things through that lens, okay? All of these things will actually drive dissatisfaction in your life. If you don't have the right perspective, you will grab for all of these worldly things and be like, why have I not found meaning? Well, God has intended to give you life. And I look to the New Testament, I look to Christ here with John 10, verse 10. Jesus refers to Satan as the thief. And he says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. And then he says, but I, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Okay, this is what Christ brings in to our life. Okay? Christ brings us life. Jesus rescues us from the meaningless. He rescues us from the vanity. And he does it through his life and through his death and his resurrection. Jesus rescues us and he gives us eternal life. And he helps us to realize the gifts that we have. And we make every day count because Christ is working through us. Whether it's our time, our relationships, our jobs, the possessions we have, the accomplishments of life, we do it all for Jesus. And Jesus also helps us to walk through the things of life that we don't always have the answers to. Okay, as I listed out the things that were um, part of verses 1 through 8, some of those are hard things. We talk about life's polarities. There's some really good times, and there's some also really difficult times. But you can still have life abundantly, even in the difficult times. We can still overcome. Now, for the graduates, I want you to listen, because in Ecclesiastes 11, there's some advice that Solomon gives to the young and the old. He says... Light is sweet, how pleasant to see a new day dawning. Verse 8, when people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. He says, but let them also remember that there may be many dark days. And of course, in his attitude, he says, everything still to come is meaningless. Not with Christ. You can face those days with the Lord. Verse 9, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Can anybody just amen that? <laughs> okay, not like, you know, all the wisdom you've gained over your life experiences, but in your body, right? Uh, the things you're able to do when you're young, maybe not so much as you get older. It says, enjoy every minute of it. It says, do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account for everything that you do. So Solomon's saying, enjoy life. Enjoy the purpose that God has for your life and have fun, but make good, godly decisions as you're enjoying life. Solomon's not saying go party it up and taste all the things of this sinful world, but he's saying there's a joy that is found in the Lord. 
So live in it. And then in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, it says, Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life isn't pleasant anymore. So one thing that that says is if you don't get life with Christ figured out now, as you grow, you're going to experience things along the way. Sin has its consequences. And you'll get to a point, maybe it's in your 40s, Maybe it's in your 50s. Could even be in your 20s. But you'll get to a point where you go, man, why did I do that? Can anybody relate with that question right there? Let us not forget our creator. Let's honor him with the decisions that we make. Okay, so graduates, I need you to form a line right over here, and I need you to come up. I have a little gift for you. So I have these red Solo cups full of M&Ms, and each M&M representing a day. This is approximately two years of your life. As you graduate, the next couple of years are going to be very crucial. And when you have your cup, you can come around. There you go. There you go. go. All right. Do you want two cups, I suppose? Okay. All right. So each M&M representing approximately a day, that's about two years worth of days. And I just want to encourage you as graduates to make every day count. Okay. Live in the joy and the purpose that God has for you. Um, don't live like the world would want you to live, the excitement of youth. And it's my hope, and this might seem a little bit pointed, but I hope that whenever you see a red Solo cup, you think of M&Ms and how you want to make every day count. Amen? Amen. Yes. Okay? Make every day count, okay? These years ahead of you are crucial. God has a plan for your life. Make every day count. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Let's give them a hand. During the fellowship time, there'll be M&Ms that you all can have, and I like to share. But we all make every day count. We all should make every day count. And so one of the greatest ways you can make your today mean something is to make sure that you're right with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if there's somebody listening right now that you have not done that, I'm telling you, you will go through life and it will be meaningless. Jesus himself says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That sounds pretty unproductive, doesn't it? So in order for me to have meaning in my life, I need Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, I'm telling you right now, he wants a relationship with you. Give your life to him. Ask him to come into your life and give you purpose, to give you meaning. And for those who are listening that you do have a relationship with Christ, let this just be a refresher that no matter what season of life I'm in, I can enjoy life because Jesus gives me abundant life. No matter my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. 
because Jesus is the one who brings life. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for our graduates. I, again, just ask for your blessing upon them and that your grace would walk with them, guide them, and lead them. And for all of us listening, Lord, may we make every single day count for your kingdom. May we never waste a day as we serve you, our King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, if there's someone listening here right now that there's something about what was said, there's something in the word that has jumped out to them and your spirit is speaking to them, encouraging them to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ for from that relationship begins the kingdom purpose that's on your life. And if you desire to receive Jesus today, I encourage you to pray with me right now. Pray with me in your heart and simply say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I need you. I need you to come into my life and make me new. And I need you to forgive me of my sin. So I'm asking today for forgiveness. Please cleanse me. Please make me new. And I thank you for this gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Help me to fear you and obey your commands as I walk out this spiritual journey. And thank you for giving me the eternal destination of heaven. We love you, Jesus. Amen.